I don't know if you could read this here, but living the, promise, uh, living the Promises, that's the title of this message, if you like titles. Um, it used to be Living the Dream was always the thought. You'd ask somebody, this guy at the lumberyard, we'd say, so how's it going today, Mark? And he says, oh, living the dream. The problem is that I'm thinking is that dreams are, uh, are human-made, man-made. Oh, you know, there's a, and the, on the book cover of one of John Piper's books, I can't read John Piper, but I read the book cover, and it said... Um, this man retired early, and him and his wife were buying a, you know, a big motor home, and they're going to go collect seashells. And he says, that's ridiculous, you know, John Piper. Because he's like, that's your, your retire, you know, technically God allowed you to retire early, now you're going to go collect seashells? You know, for, that doesn't seem to be the, the, the uh, dream that I'd like. But that's what happens in, uh, if we um, go by our dreams. Our dreams are man-made. What's, you know, the American dream, a house, a picket fence, or... You're from Long Island, the cyclone fence around the house. That's our, you know, our, the American dream would be, you know. So I'm thinking, I want to live the promises. And Charlie and Will, thank you for the songs you picked out. They all had to do with promises. And uh, so we want to live the promise that God has for us. So let's, uh, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our day that you've so blessed us with. Thank you for the sunshine and a, a real summer day. We thank you for your word of truth that you give to us. And we pray today, Father, that you'll teach us through your word um, how to live the promises, Father, to take you at your word, Father, believe who you are and who you say you are, and that we can apply those promises to our life, share them with the people that we have an opportunity to share them with, and live a life that truly honors and glorifies your holy name. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. Um, so turn to Second Timothy 3.16. We were at a, a Bible study one time down the street, and uh, one of the questions was, don't we believe that this book is just a book of good stories? That was his question. And then he didn't get an answer right away. And then the other question was, isn't that what pastor believes? Well, I want to clarify that. This is not a book of good stories. We'll read it from uh, John, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All, and I think every translation, I believe, starts with all. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instructions in righteousness, that the man of God may be, may be complete and thoroughly equipped for every good work. So we believe that this is a, the holy, inerrant, infallible Word of God. It is, it is the truth from the index to the concordance and everything in belief. It's not a book of good stories. It's a book of truth. So if it's a book of truth, then... The promises that are in there, we can live by those promises and live a life that will honor and glorify God. So let's turn to um, Matthew 8.23 through 27. So it's, um, these guys are out in the boat now. So in um, 8, verse 23, it says, Now when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And suddenly a great tempest arose on the sea, so that the boat was, co- was covered with the waves, but he was asleep. And then, he, then his disciples came to him and awoke him, saying, Lord, save us, we are perishing. But he said to them, Why are you fearful, O you of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. So the men marveled, saying, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? And that's always been a, a verse of mine that I enjoy because it's like, that's the question we need to answer. 
Who is this Christ that we serve? Who is this Christ in the Bible? Who is this Jesus that um, came to be with us? You know, these promises that he has in the scripture, you know, who is this man? And I just love that the disciples, these guys were with him for, I don't know at this time exactly, but for three years, day and night, they were with Jesus. And that was their question. And I think that's our question that needs to be answered. We need to answer, who is this Christ that came to be with us, that, that even the wind and the waves cease when he says that. You know, sometimes you'll see uh, uh, preachers that are healers, or they do this, they get special gifts and that. But I haven't seen any that stop the wind and the waves yet, that claim that they can stop the wind and the waves. Um, so I, I just think that's the question we need to answer, so we can have a right view of this God that we serve. Or a right view of this God that we're seeking. Maybe, we don't, maybe you don't serve him right now. Maybe you're still questioning who is this God? But God is a, um, he's a, he's such a graceful God, even in it says, I think it's in Hebrews, where it says you can work out your own salvation. Not that you create how to get saved or come to Christ, but he says if you've got questions, you've got struggles, work it out. Let's work through it together, and God will be with us to help us to work through that. And I think that's our picture. We need a right view of God, of who is this God that we serve, or who is this God? Um, we're going to go to uh, Genesis 1.1, 1, 1. and I don't, I don't know what the other <clears throat> uh, religious leaders, so to speak, like a, a Buddha or a Muhammad, or <clears throat> I don't know what they say, but um, in the scriptures, he comes right to it in Genesis 1.1. 1, 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. He cuts right to it. I created this world. So if God created this world, then that's the God we want to serve. You know, when you... You know, when, you, when something breaks down, you bring it to who, who built it. You know, if your Chevy breaks down, you bring it to the Chevy guy. Well, if, if God is the one, he takes ownership of this world that we live in, then if we're questioning things, wouldn't we go to God? I mean, he claims to have made, created the heavens and the earth. So that's a big claim. So like we said, this, we believe this is in the truth that God has given us. So if God claims that, then that's the right view that we have to come come to and say, all right, God, you claim to made this world. So that's when in, later on in, the, in the Genesis it talks about having dominion over this world. And that's, that's our part. We are to take care of this earth that he's given us. We're not to destroy it. But you think about this earth, you know, um, I don't know where the oil came from. I believe God put it in the earth. Whether it's fruit dinosaurs, I don't really know. But it's there and it serves us well. You know, he gives us, you know, we're carpenters. Uh, the the uh, engineer told us the other day we were, we were trying to build something last summer, and I said, "Well, can we? What can we use? What's a two by four hold up?" And he says, "A two by four can support twelve hundred pounds. So a three dollar and twenty nine cent two by four that weighs about three pounds can support twelve hundred pounds. Who made the trees? God made the trees." And I was thinking, "That's just amazing, you know." Uh, there's certain things called man made. I call man made two bys. They're made out of plastic. They can't even stand up on their own. You know, God makes a two-by-four, it can support 1,200 pounds. We try to make one. You put it on the saw and it just sloops down. It has no tensile strength at all. You know? And uh, so i just amazed at this world when you look around and, you know, we watched a movie last night and they think in the island of, is it Fiji? Is that how you say it? That's a beautiful little place they got there, you know. God wasn't fooling around when he made that island, you know. So when you think about the, you know, the things of this world, so if God created this, and we haven't even, you know, seen a glimpse of everything. But when you see just pictures of, 
of different places in the world. That, so God created that. And it's like, that's amazing. So I was like, I want to know more about this God. That if he claims that, I said, okay, you got my attention, God. I want to know more about this, about you. And then turn to um, down in Genesis 1, verse 27. So God created man in his own image. The image of God, he created male and female. He created them. God claims that he created us in in his image. I think when we get in trouble in the world, when someone would question uh, God's goodness, or or if God is who he is, why did he allow this happen? Now, I can't answer those questions. I'm not God. But it's almost as if we create God in our image, and that's when we question. It's like, if I was God, I would never allow that girl from I, I was at Iowa that was kidnapped. I, would never let, I don't know why that happened, why these things happen. But God allows these things, but he, um, he created us in his image, not the other way around. And I think that's when we get in trouble, and the world gets in trouble, and we were all in the world for a while there. Hopefully, we're not there anymore. But when we put God in our image, and then we switch places, and then it's like, then we try to, um, we try to be God. The one thing I do know about God, I can't answer the tragedies of this world that go on and then happen. But um, God is the God of the big picture. He's always got the big picture in mind. Uh, We're big baseball fans, uh, not of the Red Sox right now. We're Yankee fans. And if you watch, a pitcher will throw the first two pitches to set up the last two pitches, you know. God has a plan for us. He's, He's setting up our life. And he's, uh, he's not looking just at today. He's looking two weeks from now, three weeks from now, ten years from now. He's always got a plan to allow us to, to get us and shape us and mold us into who, you, who he wants us to be. So when we go through those trials and tribulations, which we got a scripture that backs that up today, um, that God's got a plan for us. And, and that's, but we were created in his image. I mean, we're off to a good start, right? And then let's go to... Uh, Genesis 3, verse 6. Is that right? Can I get the, um, Jordan, can I get the apple? Can you put that in there now? There, I got the apple. Okay, all right. Let me, I'm going to read from that. All right, so Genesis 3, verse 6, and I'll read a little further. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and, she, and ate. <clears throat> she also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both men were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and covered themselves. Anyway, so... Then we'll slip down to, uh, so she ate the fruit, the apple. There it is. That, if they could do DNA off of our little uh, phones, it would be Uncle Adam's DNA would be on that because that's the picture. Now, I did say on the radio on Friday that the apple is worth a trillion dollars, the first business in America ever to be worth a trillion dollars. So how many millions of apples are out there for us to understand that 
That's where the sin came into the world, Uncle Adam. And, and Uncle Adam, he was a man's man, because bound in verse, um, let's see, skip down, and I'll be in uh, verse 12, Adam being a, um, a man's man, he says, Then the man said, The woman who you gave to me, with me, she put the apple in my lunchbox and I ate it. Because that's, that's Adam. He was like, yeah, it wasn't my fault. I didn't do that. It was her fault. You know, he, he jumped right to it. And, uh, but, you know, we, um, we're, that's our uncle, Uncle Adam and Aunt Eve. Sin entered the world. Um, so uh, part of why did sin enter the world is I think about it is um, God the Father and God the Son are in heaven. This is before he created the world and he created us. And Jesus said to him, Dad, you know, I'm so proud of you. I just want people to know you. I want, I want to create people that they can all know you and love you. But we're going to give them choice, God, because I want them to choose to love you. I always talk about the kids coming out of the nursery at the end of the service. When they love their mom and dad, they come running, they put their arms around, they, ch- they choose to love their parents. And that is just so neat to see. So that's what God says. I want to give you choice. I'm not going to demand that you love me. I'm going to give you choice. So when he gave us choice, sin entered the world, and but he would, you know, Jesus was so proud of his dad. And then when he said that, I could just see, you know, God the Father would weep because he knows, well, I can't look at sin, son. You know, you'll have to go pay that debt for them. But Jesus was saying, I'm going. I know. Yeah, that's you know, that's a translation according to Bob. No charge for that. Yeah. All right, so God created the world. He created us in his, in his image. He gave us choice. In the picture of choice, meaning he gave us, you can choose God or you can reject him. And uh, Dr. Stanley will say that we could either, um, you know, despise God and hate God, or we can politely ignore him. And I think that's where the world is. I think that's where I was. I didn't know I needed God until God... You know, he comes around and all of a sudden you're going through something or you, you hear a word and you, um, God continues to draw everybody to himself. He says that. No one comes to the Father unless he draws them. So I believe God is drawing everybody to himself. But he's a gracious God. He will never force it on us. He wants you to choose to come to him. You know. So through his word, um, through Genesis, through Revelation, God wants us to give us, he wants to give us a right view of this God. So... We serve a gracious God who wants to, uh, he wants to give us the abundant life in Christ Jesus. He says that I've come to give you life and I come more abundantly. And that's why I want to do, uh, go by the promises that God gives. It was not, uh, what's that abundant life look, look like? Uh, we always, Mark's not here today, but um, we always joke about is, you know, the two best day in a man's life are the day he buys a boat and the day he sells that boat. Because you don't, you don't realize the boat owns you, how much work it is, how much time you have to put into it, how much effort there is to it. You know, so um, we, sometimes we think that the, the world and the things of the world are what we want. Um, when uh, Tripp was here, I, asked, I told him that um, it was busy at work. All the second home people are in town. And he, I says, how about you? And he says, well, no, because the house they own in Jay is their seventh home. They own seven houses. I was like, wow, that's... They probably don't even know where they are, you know, seven homes. Anyway, so we want to live by the promises of God. So uh, the, we don't want to live by our man-made 
dreams, so to speak. Uh, in Long Island, when we grew up, we used to call it the life of Riley. Life of Riley. I don't know who Riley was exactly, but it was some picture of this wonderful you know, setting and everything else. But um, we want to live by the promises of God, what he has for us. And so we, we started, he created this world that we live in, and he created us in the image of God. And um, in, uh, and you go through Scripture, like I said, it's uh, God's inspired word. Um, but there's certain people that stick out, and certain verses that we have that we can relate to. And mine always, always, any message always seems to, somewhere along the line, we've got to visit Joshua. So Joshua chapter 1, verses 8 and 9. And it says here, and This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, and you may observe to do according all that is written in it. Then you will make your way prosperous. Then you'll have good success. And, and then he repeats himself. I don't know why he repeats himself. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and of good con- big courage. Do not be afraid nor be dismayed. The Lord your God is with you wherever you go. I know as when you... Um, I always talk about is that life is about relationships. And we think about it, um, after we come to Christ, our relationships seem to change. Um, we're, you know, I'm, I'm still working on compassion, though, right? That's not, that's not my... That's what I was told that that's one I have to work on. But if you think about your relationships, um, we relate differently to people after we come to Christ, after we understand who we are in Christ Jesus, our relationships change. But life is about relationships, and that's part of what I like is the promise. It's about our relationship to God first, and then how we relate to each and every other person in this world will be based off of that relationship we have with Christ. We'll know the boundaries that God gives us, and we'll respect those boundaries. And why does he give us those boundaries? Because God's got our best interest in mind. He knows what's best for us. And in the second part of that, in verse 9 there, I like what it says, and that's the promise that we're going to claim is that for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. God is with us wherever we go. And in there, when, in verse 8, when he talks about, for then you'll wa- make your way prosperous, and you'll have good success. And again, that's not more houses and more boats. I mean, he might give you more houses and more boats. But I think our relationships will prosper. All our relationships with our, our spouses, with our children, with the neighbor next door, with the, you know, the kids in Iwana, anywhere we come across people, our relationships will prosper and have good success because of, this, of what God is teaching us through his word. And he wants us to have those relationships. Um, so the second the, the one we want to claim is that, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. So you think about it, you know, you know there's, and there's a song that we sing, it says, who am I? You know, who am I? That God, God wants to spend time with me? You know, I mean, who am I? Um, you know, we... God says he knows the hairs on our head. So when that breeze came through here before, I guess he had to count again because I think I might have left a few on the, the seat there. You know, every time the wind blows, he's got to count our hair again because they're, they're waving goodbye, some of them. You know. um, let's turn to uh, Joshua. Stay in Joshua. The other uh, person that I always like to um, relate to is Caleb. Caleb was... Uh, um, him and Joshua and Caleb were the ones, the spies, that when they went out to check out the promised land, God said, I'm giving you the promised land. If some, God has given us something, won't you take claim to it? Well, Caleb and Joshua took claim to it, and the other ten says, no way, we're not taking it. It's like, 
there's a trap, God. There's more to it. You know, there's uh, something's there. But anyway, Joshua and Caleb take claim for it. So in Joshua 14, verse 9 through 13, it says, So, uh, so Moses swore on that day, saying, Surely the land where your foot has trotted, trodden shall be your inheritance and your children's forever, because you have wholly followed the Lord my God. And now, behold, the Lord has kept me alive, and he has said these 45 years, ever since the Lord spoke this word to Moses, while Israel wandered in the wilderness, and now here I am this day, 85 years old, and yet I am as strong this day as on the day when Moses sent me. Just as my strength was then, and so now my strength is for war, for coming and going in. And now, therefore, give me the mountain of which the Lord spoke in that day. For you heard in, in that day how the Anakin were there, and the cities were great and fortified. It may be that that the Lord will be with me, and I shall be able to drive them out, as the Lord said. And, uh, and in 13, and Joshua blessed him in Hebron, and gave Hebron to Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, as his inheritance. And a couple of things there. So, um, what I like is that where it says here about um, Joshua that he, uh, I mean, Caleb, he said, um, so it's 45 years later now. They wandered in the wilderness. Everyone's gone that, uh, that didn't see the promised land. Caleb is still alive, and, he's, and he said there, I am as strong this day as I was when we sent me. So at 85, Ed, at 85, he's just as strong as when he was at 40, right? And I, I just, I want to be that strong. Whether it's physical, emotional, spiritual, I don't want to lose my strength. I want to be strong and courageous, as Joshua always says, be strong and courageous, you know. I want to be when you wake up in the morning and, and, you, and you unplug your phone and it says 100% charged, ready to go. That would be what we want, Ed, right? We want to be charged and ready to go, 100%. So God's promise here to Caleb was that he would be with him and then he's going to give him his promise like he said, 45 years later. So that's why, again, God's about the big picture. He's always his timetable. That's the one that we struggle with. You know, when we pray, we want to know, we want answers now. We're, you know, we're, we're New Yorkers. We, we want it, you know, the New York Minute is it's a little faster than uh, elsewhere. So Joshua, uh, God blessed Caleb with strength in the land because he wholly followed the Lord. And I was like, what's that look like? I mean, if you were sitting down with God or you say, I have a little prayer, a journal that I write in. And I used to say, I write, dear Lord, and then, so now I just start saying, because why do I got to repeat what I'm asking him? He knows that, right? God, you know I struggle with certainty. Or God, you know this is going on today. You know we're going here. Um, um, but I said, God, I want to say to him, God, what's it look like to wholly follow you? I want to know what that looks like. So teach me, Lord, to wholly follow you. And then he says again, the Lord be with you. The Lord will be with me. That's just the greatest thing. The Lord is with us. You know, I picture... Um, you're at one of those big football stadiums where they hold like 110,000 fans now. And you're the quarterback, and it's, it's, they're waiting for you to call the cadence. And there's one guy in the stand, and he's got his coat, and he's swinging his coat, and it's Jesus. And he's saying, that's my boy. That's my boy down there. You know, that's what I picture. It's like, that's the, that's the God we serve, who, who wants the best for me and the best for each one of us. God's got our best interest in mind. And he says, I'm with you always. So the picture that God is with us always through our trials and our tribulations, through ups and downs. Can we answer every question, every tragedy that goes on? No. But God says, I'm with you. 
Um, so the Lord be with me. So let's turn to Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen. And this is, uh, the verses here at 28, 18, and 20 are always there when, they, when Jesus has given them the Great Commission. I always like the second part. And in 18 it says, And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority has been given to me in heaven and earth. And go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. Carolyn, there's your, there's your um, command right there, right? Even in New Jersey, right? But the second part, it says, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always to the end of the age. To think that the, the God that he created this world, he created this, you know, the heavens and the earth, you know, what does that look like? He says, but I'm with you, I'm with you, you know, and we watch Blue Bloods a lot, and it says in there, um, I got your back, that's the phrase, right, I got your back. It's like God saying, I got your back, I got your front, I got your side, I got everything, I'm with you, so, you know, go. You know, he's the guy that he wants to lead us, and he's with us. And I was like, the God of this universe wants to be with me? You know, I was like, who am I? You know, um, but I just, I just think that is great. I'm with you always. Um, turn to John 16, 32. <clears throat> and that's where we come into the, uh, <clears throat> again, God tells us, you're going to have trials and tribulations, you know. So in John 16, 32, it says, Indeed, the hour is coming, yes, now come, and you will be scattered, each to his own. And will leave me alone, and yet I am not alone, because the Father is with me. But 33, these things I have spoken to you, that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. Be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. So God's told us, you're going to have trials and tribulations. And, you know, sometimes when, you know, when you're raising children, you want them never to have a problem. We want to keep everything perfect, you know, so they don't, we want, we want, we want them to fall and get scrapes and this and that. But we know that's, that's a false security. Uh, not that we deliberately, you know, make them get hurt or something. But we have to allow them to go through the trials and tribulations. If we protect them from everything that's out in the world, then when a trial comes, they can't adjust to it. In the same way, God allows us, he says, you're going to have tribulation. And what we learned is tribulation is any type of pressure. And does um, anybody had, don't raise your hand. Anybody had any pressure this week? You know, pressure, you know there's pressures from everywhere. Um, any type of pressure, and God, he knows that. And he says, but in me, you're going to have peace. And in the world, you're going to have pressure because God wants to teach us. You know, if you've never had, you know, just think about, I wonder when Jesus was growing up with his brother James. Do you, do you think when they played Little League, did he bat, Ray, did he bat 1,000? Did he get a hit every time up? You know, I mean, he was Jesus. He was perfect, right? Did he, uh, you know, the throw of the football, everything was a perfect spiral? He was Jesus. I don't know, but, you know, just thinking about after the fact, like James comes to Christ after Jesus has died, his brother James. So what are you saying? You know, that's why he could do that stuff. He was God, you know. You remember when he did this, this and that, you know. Every time we went fishing, he caught a fish every time. He threw the hook in the water, you know. But he was God. But was everything perfect? I don't, I don't know if that's the way it was. He was fully human, and he was fully, fully God. But God allows us to have those trials and tribulations. Again, if we've never, 
you know, if you're ever in the batter's box and you, uh, you know, you never had to face a two-strike count or something, or you had to change something, you had to adjust. Paul, do you ever have to adjust on the ice in the middle of, uh, <laughs> in the middle, you got to call something? I got to change something up. God allows those trials and tribulations for a reason for us, to help us to be strong and courageous, to recognize our need for God, that we need Him, and to recognize who we are in Christ. And I think that's our biggest thing is that, all right, now we've come to Christ. We knew who we were in our BC days before Christ. We knew how we'd handle certain situations or circumstances. But now that we're in Christ Jesus, we want to handle them according to God's will and according to God's way. So we go back to God and say, God, help me through this trial and tribulation. Help me through this situation. And God says, I got you. I got your back. I'm with you. And that's the God that I see. That's the God that we, you know, we got a view of this God that he wants to be with us and walk with us through this uh, straight and narrow path that we're on. So I said, I have overcome the world. Jesus has overcome the world. Can we answer all the questions that are out there in this world? No, we can't answer them. But God can answer them, and God's got a plan. He's got a plan for our, our lives, and each of our lives, he's got a plan for this nation. He's got a plan for all the nations of the world. Um, so in summarizing, so God gives us his word. He shows us his power, and he can even cease the wind and the waves. He reminds us that he created the heavens and the earth. He created us in his image. He gave us choice to follow or not to follow. And that's our choice. Because when we do follow, then we follow with we're all in. We're not just a part. He tells us to meditate on his word, to wholly follow him, and that he has overcome this world. And then the promise that says, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so, so God is with us, and he wants the best for your life and the best for my life. And he knows what that is. So as we go through the trials and tribulations, as we walk through the times in this world, we just remember these promises that he has for us. And we live by those promises that God says, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. Father, we thank you again that you're our God. We thank you for your holy, inerrant, infallible word that you gave. Not only you give us your word, Father, you said... Here, I'll give each of you a copy. I'll put a copy on your phone. I'll put a copy on your computer at home. I'll put a copy wherever you are so that you have my word in written form so that you can read it and I'll help you understand it. So thank you, Father, for this privilege. Thank you for your love and your devotion to your people. And thank you that you have our best interest in mind, Father. That's why you came to die on the cross to pay our sin debt. And we thank you for that privilege, Father. So teach us today and how to walk that straight and narrow path that you have set for us, knowing that you're with us always to the end of the age. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen.